0: Welcome to What Happens Next. My name is Larry Bernstein. What Happens Next is a podcast which covers economics, finance, history, politics, and current events. Today's session revolves around two eyewitness accounts of the Highland Park, Illinois July 4th parade massacre. I was born in Guenco, which is a couple of miles away from the killing zone. My friends and family attended the Highland Park parade. Today, we will hear from my brother-in-law, David Baum, who is married to my wife's sister, Deborah. And then we'll hear from David's daughter, Brittany Robluski, who is my niece. Brittany marched in the parade with her son, Blake, moments before the shooting began. We're going to start the conversation with my brother-in-law, David Baum, who is an obstetrician in Highland Park. David, you were at the parade. What happened?
1: We were at the event to... Watch my grandson walk in the children's parade, which happened. The children's parade happened at 915, which is a yearly event in Highland Park. The kids go on scooters and tricycles, bikes. Some parents are pushing in strollers. I would think that there were hundreds of families walking with their kids. As my daughter and my son-in-law and my grandson walked, my grandson pushed his little bubble lawnmower. My concern was for people, every time I saw a, a truck go by on a side street, I always thought of what happened last year in Wisconsin, just cause I'm a paranoid grandfather. So the children's parade finishes and then the um, police and fire truck and search and rescue teams from the community. And then the Highland Park marching band comes through. And then there was a little lull before some of the other couple floats and the little klezmer band was to come through. And then the shots rang out. It was a series of incredible sounds that I'd never heard before, never having actually been in close proximity to gunfire. But these were like sonic booms. These were just rapid fire, rapid fire, as you've heard. You've seen the audio. There was a couple 15 seconds delay while he probably put another clip in, and and then another 40 shots rang out. So there was... Probably within 30 seconds, people were screaming bodies down, bodies down, bodies down, and people started just running every different direction. That's it. What
0: did you do? What were your actions?
1: I was as shocked as everybody else, but when I saw that my family had run, I just sort of stayed for about 45 seconds or a minute, and then when you see all these people screaming next to their relatives who were on the ground, I just sort of went when I thought the shooting had stopped, the shooting had stopped. So then I went towards maybe 50 yards away, 50 yards to the West from where my family was seated was where all these bodies were strewn, mostly on the south side of the street, which would have been 50 feet away from the little perch up on top of the Uncle Dan's store that people have heard about. But the bodies were tragically just strewn about in front of the Walker Brothers restaurant. That's where all the real carnage was. That's where there were six people who were blown up. There was a little boy that we've all heard about who the family has now finally disclosed that he is paralyzed. The spinal cord was severed. I saw the parents of the little boy who came to the parade with parents and left without parents. Those bodies were, the father was literally blown up. I was there with the paramedic when they were running around just trying to assess who was alive and who was dead, and they were blown up. The father was literally blown apart. I know down in Uvalde, they said that they had to do DNA to identify some of those students. Well, you know, now I know why, because I saw firsthand what those bullets did to people. I saw the back of, I think the gentleman, maybe that's too much, From who was there from Mexico. I saw what it did to his head.
0: A lot of people were shot and didn't die. How severe were the wounds in those cases?
1: I mean, how many people are still in the hospital? Somebody who I know and I think you know had the back of her foot blown up and will require a lot of surgery. But maybe it was a little shrapnel wound. I don't know. I don't know what his aim was like, but he just, he sprayed bullets, so.
0: Was he shooting from across the street from the Walker brothers? Is that where his sight was?
1: I think I've heard he was up on top of the Gearhead or Uncle Dan's store and shooting down across the street because that's where the people that were below him, I think, had the less serious, those were not the casualties. Those were not the mortal casualties. So it was across the street with the six bodies that were blown apart.
0: I spoke with Brittany. She was angry with you for not running away. Why did you run towards the wounded?
1: Well, Larry, your dad was an incredible doctor for years. And, you know, I don't know if you would have asked him at 64 what he would have done. Maybe he would have done the same thing. It's just sort of an instinctual thing that as a physician, you're trained to try and help. But, you know, did I think in the moment that there was no chance that he was going to open up fire again. I I don't think I thought that. I think I just heard people screaming, help, 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 help. So I went there. I don't think that's as important as everything else. Your dad may have done the same thing because he's a cardiologist and he maybe thought he could do CPR. I I don't know. But in the moment, that's, that's just what happened. Brittany said she was mad at me she's not mad at me anymore she understands i mean at the moment she was overwhelmed with fear and she wanted everyone to be in the same place and, the, and getting out of there your nephew my son then came back to try and he said he wanted to he wanted to help i was like leave just leave leave you know, I mean, did I feel like the person had left hadn't heard gunfire in probably at that point, a couple minutes. Then there was police running all around. Nobody knew what had happened, where he was or if he had left the scene.
0: What lessons have you learned from this experience?
1: Nothing about trying to help zero about trying to help. There were other people who stayed there. There was somebody I know is was a plastic surgeon. He got his parents out of there. Then he came back a couple minutes later. There was a nurse. There was a nurse practitioner. There was an ER doctor. I think those people are like me. You just sort of instinctually feel like you should do something to help. What I've learned is that the weapon that a 21-year-old had access to. There's only one purpose. It's not for shooting beer cans in the backyard. It's not for killing deer. It's not for hunting. It is for creating mass casualty. There is no good reason that that gun can ever. I, I, if somebody can tell me that that is should be used in warfare, okay, use it. Use it in the war, but don't use it to rain terror down on people that went to a parade. The little two-year-old who went to a parade and and left to be raised by his grandparents. I mean, it's just, it's just, I. It's gross. it's, it's, It's horrific. But every mass casualty is horrific. But when things didn't change after Sandy Hook, you knew there was a problem. But this one, you know, happened in front of my eyes. You thought Sandy Hook. oh oh my God, you know, I mean, children in school, you see Uvalde, they resonate with you, but this one resonates obviously differently because if your sister-in-law would have put our chairs down in a different place, we may may not have a family. It could have been my grandson and every other young family pushing strollers and tricycles. It could have been the Highland Park marching band. It was a mass casualty scene during a lull in the parade of the corner opposite where he was sitting on top of a gearhead store. I mean, it just, it's the whole thing every day becomes more unimaginable to me that it actually happened.
0: How has the city come together afterwards?
1: I mean, yesterday I think there was a gathering in the park for people. I mean, I didn't go. I think people were just there. I don't know if it was a vigil. I think people or families are still they're in shock. They're trying to calm their kids down. I mean, all the camps are trying to get started again and they have counseling at the camps because the kids are afraid to leave their homes or go to camp or get on a bus. Or every time a kid hears a siren now, they run inside, which I guess it's going to take a while. But they were all there and their parents picked them up and ran for their lives because they thought that Nobody knew where he was coming from. Nobody knew where he was shooting from. Nobody knew if there were other people. Nobody knew if there was explosives. I mean, it's hard to believe it happened in a community. You're part of this community. You just, you live in the community next door. It's still hard to fathom that this is the new normal. This is the new normal. You can't fix what happens in certain families. I mean, obviously they've been talking about the family that he he came from. And I saw between 2010 and 2014, the police were called to the family for domestic issues between the husband and the wife. I don't know, it said 10 times in four years. And there was concerns about substance abuse with one of the parents or alcohol abuse or something. So it obviously was a family with a lot of, issues you can't fix that family you can't fix how he was brought up i don't know if he was bullied i don't think anyone knows what happens to that kid but when he dropped out of high school that's not a good thing the fact that there was a suicide attempt and the threats against his own family were obviously red flags which the highland park police had records of the fact that the father co-signed for his void card at some point and now he says he has no responsibility. You can't. You can't change that. But the easy access to a weapon that rained terror down four days ago and the damage it did in forty-five seconds is just. It's. It's like, why is that weapon still being sold? Why is it so available? I mean, you're not going to be able to get them off the street, but can't they just stop? putting them on the street? Why is it so available? It doesn't make any sense. And that's the thing that really is disturbing, that it just, there's no movement to get rid of them, or at least stop, stop making them so available. There's lots of responsible gun owners. I get it. Guns are a part of people's lives. They have collections of them. And if they are responsible and keep them locked up, Okay, I can live with that. But that weapon that became so easily available to a kid that had 21 years of probably not such a great upbringing, probably not such such great you know DNA. You know, maybe did not fit in in the community he was being raised in. I don't know. But you can't fix those things overnight. Mental illness that starts at a young age, or or lack of confidence or being bullied or lack of self-esteem there's no pill for that there's no telemed for that it's beyond that it's one gun that people like to strap across their chest you know like they walked around up in east lansing a couple of years ago when there was the the covid closures they were protesting and you saw those guys outside the capital in east lansing with those guns strapped across their chest well okay at least they didn't open fire made them feel like they had control. But if any of those people had kids who who had an impulse and a desire to kill who were angry at something or feel like there were people that they wanted to punish for whatever reason, I, you can't fix that. Those are generational problems. It's not a kind society. It's not a, I mean, the society has gotten worse in the past X number of years, It's become okay to call people names during political events, and it's become okay to storm the Capitol. I mean, it's insanity, but there is a weapon that I have seen firsthand what it just did to lives, to families, to a little boy, to an eight year old who's paralyzed, who's paralyzed for being in front of a pancake shop. He's paralyzed because of the irresponsibility of a family, the the mental illness of a 21-year-old, the darkness that he got into maybe during COVID. I don't know. But those are not easily fixable. But a 80-round barrage of high-powered bullets from a—it's like somebody wants to go up in a uh, hunting perch or whatever they do looking for a deer sitting there all day. That's fine. You want to kill the deer and you got a license, kill the deer, kill it with a bow and arrow, kill it with a assault rifle, but don't, don't paralyze an eight-year-old for watching a parade. Don't make it so easy to kill our kids. Ruin their lives, ruin the families. I mean, a two-year-old doesn't have parents for no reason. I just have a hard time in the court of common sense, my right to safety and freedom and somebody's right to have that weapon. It doesn't equate. I mean, why, why are we not safe?
0: We get uh, depressed at the end of these calls. Um, Can you find any optimism?
1: Larry, I don't know. You've got a lot of listeners who are influential people who have resources, who have connections, who have the intelligence, who have the the skills to organize, not like these little, you know, I mean, my daughter was talking about how there's just not well-organized anti-gun groups. There are all these little tiny offshoots of groups that have no national presence. It takes people who understand how to build an organization, how to have legal, how to have financing, how to have everything that it takes to make real change. I don't know. I'm not sure that the country wants it. If it didn't happen after Sandy Hook, if it did not happen after Sandy Hook, I I don't know. I think Highland Park is almost off the news. It's going to probably go away. I hope it doesn't, but you've got a lot of people who probably feel the same way. But If this happens in Westport or Greenwich or wherever it is, oh, it came to our community. Well, it came to my community and it's a nice community and we didn't do anything wrong and neither did anyone else. But that weapon has no right in the hands of a 21 year old. Doesn't have any right in the hands of a 25 year old. But, you know, it's got to start somewhere. It, it, It has to start with something changing because you cannot fix mental illness overnight. You cannot fix families that are irresponsible. You're now seeing the father. I have no responsibility. He paid for it with his own money. Well, obviously those are thoughts of somebody who, who is tone deaf to life. You know, his son just created a mass casualty situation killing, paralyzing, destroying families. And this guy said, I didn't do anything. He paid for it with his own money. I mean, okay, let's forget about him. He talks about he's not going anywhere. He's going to keep his head up high in Highland Park. Okay, there's something wrong with those comments. Obviously, you know, that's part of the reason why his son went up on top of a building with an AR-type rifle, and destroyed bodies, destroyed families, destroyed an eight-year-old's life. He's never going to walk again. He has a twin brother that'll be playing basketball and baseball, and he'll be in a wheelchair. This happened in front of my eyes, in front of my family, in front of thousands of people didn't see the bodies, but they felt the horror as they were running for their lives. The other day in Philadelphia, when the shots rang out at a whatever, a gathering, now it's 15, 16, 14-year-olds bringing handguns to public spaces. Well, when they fire them in the air, everyone everyone runs. Thank God somebody didn't have an AR-15 there. I guess it's hard to walk into a big space with that gun. But he opens fire. He creates a mass casualty situation. Handguns aren't going away. I, I wish they would. It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. Giving that gun to that child obviously happened for lots of things that are now well, well chronicled about the family and the dysfunction and the he had academic issues. He had, you know, a family that obviously didn't know exactly what to do with them when he, you know, was offered services in school. Maybe he was bullied, but You know, you can't change that. You can't fix that overnight. Those are generational issues. But what is immediate is the access that was so easy to legally purchase that weapon. It's just, he drove up to Madison, didn't have a good plan. You know, I mean, could have done the same thing at a big gathering. It's just hard to believe. It's hard to believe.
0: David, thank you. I'm here with my niece, Brittany. My wife's sister is Brittany's mom. This week, Brittany participated in the Highland Park July 4th parade and was at the site when the shooting started. What happened?
2: Yeah, unfortunately, my family was at the wrong place at the wrong time, but luck aligned for us in almost every way. If you would have altered one detail, our fate would have been very, very different. But on the 4th of July, we had what I would describe as boring suburban plans. Our plan was to take our two-year-old to the Highland Park Parade and then have a family barbecue. My husband and I both actually grew up in Highland Park, and we made a very intentional choice to move to Highland Park and raise our family in Highland Park because it's such a wonderful and beautiful community. So growing up, I used to do the Highland Park Children's Parade, which starts 30 minutes before the main parade does at 10 a.m. And this year it was I was telling Chris, it's really nostalgic for me to be a parent now in the parade and walking Blake down and all the kids decorate their bicycles and their tricycles. My son, who's two, decorated a little lawnmower that he likes to push and it blows bubbles. And, you know, we were walking, waving to tons of community members who we know, family, friends, classmates, families of his. And... My son, who's two, couldn't do the whole loop. It was just too much for him. So we detoured and cut out early to go meet my family, who was Blake's cheering section outside of our local Dairy Queen lined up. And we had just gotten to my parents' blanket and chairs, and everyone was hugging Blake and telling him what a good job he did marching. And just as the official parade was getting started, we just heard these loud consecutive pops that happened so fast everyone just kind of like froze and there was this haze of confusion and diagonal from me across the street I saw people begin to jump up and spring up I looked at my husband who already had Blake in his hands and we just started to run and
0: where did you run?
2: We didn't know. We just, away. We just ran. We ran just away from the main parade area. And in that moment, I I just knew I was going to be separated from the rest of my family.
0: Was it complete chaos?
2: It was complete chaos. Within seconds, we knew it was a gun. We knew it was a shooter. And we just started running. And when we made a right by the train tracks, the second round of shots happened. And the fear that I had in that moment. And your body's, and your mind is just not connected. Your body is just moving so fast and running and the instincts, the survival. I mean, my heart rate is so high just talking about it right now. And then your mind begins to catch up and I'm starting to think, where's my family? There's people screaming. There's elderly people trying to get away. There's kids crying. It was just a horror and a fear that I, I really don't wish on anyone, anyone ever, and certainly a child.
0: I grew up in Glencoe in a town that borders Highland Park. We were both raised in this community and attended the same synagogue. I went to the Glencoe parade as a kid and as a young parent. You've been a lifelong Highland Park resident. You went to high school at Highland Park High and you made the decision to raise your family here in Highland Park. You live just a few blocks away from the shooting incident. There was a belief that Glencoe and Highland Park are totally safe. It's like Mayberry. Nothing bad ever happens in Highland Park. What's it like to find out that it's untrue, that you're unsafe here?
2: What is safe anymore? I don't know. What Parades aren't safe, schools aren't safe, concerts aren't safe. It's just what we allow people to buy legally in this country and arrive at schools with and parades with. This guy, this deranged 21-year-old, did not break a law in America until he opened fired on the parade. And no place is immune because no one has a chance against an AK-15. The police, there were hundreds of police at the parade. The police literally marched through the parade. There were military members who had just marched through the parade. They are outgunned. And the whole thing, Larry, started and ended in 20 seconds. You blinked. And this guy took seven lives, wounded over 40, and shattered a whole community. That's it. It's not about the location. It's about how these guns get to the locations. And the only way to make Highland Park, Glencoe, the south side of Chicago, I mean, any neighborhood is unsafe until we ban assault weapons. This isn't a Democrat-Republican issue. This is a public safety issue issue.
0: I was in New York City on 9-11. I saw with my own eyes when the Twin Towers came down. It was a shock. There was a sense of vulnerability and that the world had changed in that moment when those buildings came down. One big difference with 9-11 was that we were attacked by foreign Arab terrorists. What's strange about this incident in Highland Park is that the kill was someone who lived among us. One of his parents lives a couple blocks away from you. He attended your high school. His father had a delicatessen that recently closed, but was just a few blocks away from your house. The murderer's dad ran for mayor. I mean, that's really different. He's one of us. How do you think about it that this guy lived right down the street?
2: Yeah, I think it makes the idea of access to assault weapons just more prominent. This guy had the same schooling. He grew up in the same safe community. Like, nature versus nurture, we shared... A lot of similar experience than this kid, this 21-year-old. The internet and social media changed the way people can share ideas, both good and bad, but access to a weapon that caused so much havoc and destruction so quickly, to me, is the piece of the puzzle that brought this on. And I'm not saying that A dangerous person with horrible intentions is not going to find a way to carry out a horrible plan. The 70 rounds he shot in 20 seconds is unlike anything. No one has a chance. The bottom line is when a military-grade weapon gets into the hands outside of the military, it's criminal-grade. There's nothing else to do with an AK-15. There's no sport, there's no hunting. It is just meant to devastate communities and ruin lives. If he would have had to reload, if he didn't have that type of bullet and speed, lives would have been saved. I'm not saying that no horrible event would have happened at the parade. I'm saying that some lives could have been saved. There could have been a minute where police could have oriented themselves. I mean, you couldn't even blink Larry, and the whole thing had started and finished and our community is is forever changed and you know there's a boy who's my son's age blake's age and he lost both of his parents at the parade
0: i know it's terrible
2: yeah i mean there's not even words to to just i don't have the stomach to digest that yet i don't know if i ever will but
0: your dad david baum ran to help the victims I know you've got mixed feelings about that. Tell me how you felt when you found out that he put himself in harm's way.
2: Mm -hmm. This one's been a journey over the last 48 hours. The day of the shooting, I'll be honest, I was mad at him because in the chaos after my husband, Blake and I were able to get to our car. And again, I said at the beginning, there were a million things that could have gone differently for us that would have changed our fate. Where we parked our car was one of those weird details where we were able to run directly to our car and we sped out of the town area like a getaway car. Mm -hmm. I was laying in the back seat with Blake so he wasn't by a window. So back to your question, you know, when I when we got into the car, I'm calling my family. No one's answering. I'm getting voicemails. I'm hysterical. I'm thinking horrible things. And finally, I get a hold of my sister, you know, is everyone okay? Everyone's okay, but dad's on the corner helping victims, and I just lost it. I was like, get him out of there. What is he doing? Where are you? Why aren't you guys together? They wouldn't leave without my dad, so they were hanging on the side of the... They were in a safe place, but now that I've had a couple days to digest, and I came around hours later, but... I think anyone who has a hero like my father in their family, anyone who has someone in their family who's served, who's a first responder, any, a police officer, whatever, I guess I just got like a taste of that, of what it feels like to have a real hero in your family and someone who puts their life at risk. And my dad's a really special person. He's always been my role model before this incident, this terror. But yeah, as a daughter, I'm not... (laughs) As a daughter, I wasn't suggesting that he go back into the chaos and the unknown, but also as a daughter, I'm I'm really proud. And he says he wouldn't have changed a thing that he did. And he wanted to set the example to us kids that if you have value and something to contribute in a moment of chaos and need, you should do your part. And my dad's a physician. He's served our community for 33 years and he absolutely did his part.
0: I thought it was pretty amazing that the police were able to find the criminal so quickly afterwards. Any thoughts on your Highland Park Police Department?
2: Well, if it's so easy to buy an assault rifle, it's really easy to track who buys them. So isn't that just a sick irony? He left the gun there. The gun has a serial number, which is registered to Bobby Cremo. They were at his house in hours. It's too easy on both sides. The fact, it's, it's almost like proving the point. It's the inverse proof of the point, right? It's so easy to purchase it. Therefore, it's so easy to find the person who purchased it. It's wrong. It all kind of came full circle. Don't get me wrong. I slept better that night and every night since knowing that this criminal is caught. But in reality, no part of the process should have been that easy from buying it to finding him.
0: Brittany, I end each episode of mine on a note of optimism. What are you optimistic about?
2: I'm optimistic about the really angry, fed up, had enough young people. And, you know, I grew up in Highland Park, you grew up in Glencoe. When we were growing up, school parades, they were safe and they were fun and they were full of joyous memories. And I just know that I'm part of a community that is going to get us back to a point where our kids have wonderful school days and parade days and summers full of bubble lawnmowers and barbecues. And it's going to be a long road. We're we're in it for the long run, but I'm really inspired by the Highland Park community and the way that HP has come together, HP Strong, and To be clear, there's no silver lining in what happened, though, Larry. Sorry to take your note of optimism. There is no silver lining in this. This was a horror, tragedy, seven lives were lost. There is no silver lining, period. New sentence. I am inspired by my community who's come together under just unspeakable circumstances. So we'll change things.
0: Thanks, Brittany. Thanks to David and Brittany for joining us today. That ends this session. If you missed last week's show, check it out. The topic was the future of the city. Our speaker was Dion Sujik, who is the former director of the Design Museum in London and the author of the book, The Language of Cities. The discussion included excerpts from previous episodes of What Happens Next, including Howard Hustock from AEI about the poor side of town. Mitchell Schwartzer, who is an architecture professor, discussed the problems of the not-in-my-backyard paradigm. And Edward Glazer at Harvard told us about why cities are the center for economic growth. I would like to now make a plug for next week's show. Our first speaker will be Michelle Marguis, who is an associate professor of political science at the University of Pennsylvania. Michelle has a new book entitled From Politics to the Pews, How Partisanship and the Political Environment Shape Religious Identity. Our second speaker will be Julian Zelizer, who is the Malcolm Stevenson Forbes Class of 41 Professor of History and Public Affairs at Princeton. He has a book entitled Burning Down the House, Newt Gingrich and the Rise of the New Republican Party. You can find all of our previous episodes and transcripts on our website, whathappensnextin6minutes.com. Replays are also available on Apple Podcast, Podbean, and Spotify. Thanks to our audience for your continued engagement with these important issues. Goodbye.